Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, or at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. That's what happened at Areopagus. Teaching went on about new things and sharing, etc. But we'll see more of that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for preaching. Thank you that you've called men to preach your word, to preach it faithfully, to equip the saints so they're not tossed to and fro for every different doctrine that is out there. But help me now, Father, to be clear, to be logical, and to be understood. But help us all to, to, to listen to what your word, through the work of the Holy Spirit, has to say to our own hearts and minds. That we would not just sit and do nothing. That when we're convicted of our sin, we would wake up and come to true repentance and be doers of your word. So, Father, help us now. Please, be merciful to us. We need to be alive to Christ. We need to be bold for Jesus. We need to be out there witnessing about Him in our daily work, in the shops, in, in, when we're walking around the community, in our homes, wherever you've placed us. Father, you give us opportunities. You open up doors for us. Help us to take those opportunities and honour you through them as we share and witness the works and words all about Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. Thank you now, Father, for this opportunity to preach. And thank you again for the sacred scriptures. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it was maybe a month ago, the 28th of March, when I preached from this passage, Boldness for Jesus. And we looked at our first thing, to help us to see what boldness for Jesus looks like, so that we would be challenged and encouraged to have an attitude of boldness for Jesus. And we will continue now this morning. But let's just go through a few reminders. It's been a month since we, we looked at boldness for Jesus, so yeah, there is some recap of what I said. And of course, the big question is, do we have an attitude of boldness for Jesus? 
Do you and I have an attitude of boldness for Jesus? And by the word boldness, I mean showing a fearless spirit, willing to take a risk, all in the name of Christ. And the risk or fearless spirit is seen in our boldness to speak the word of God in face of anybody, or in the face of anybody, including opposition. When there's an opportunity to say something, do we shy away? Do we turn our back and we are ashamed of the gospel? And Lord willing, next week I will tell us the truth that this is a hard message to tell the world because it is foolish to the world to hear what we have to say. That's why we need boldness. It's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But if we have to look at the New Testament, we'll see a man of God, a great man of God, who had a face like an angel, and that was Stephen. We see how bold he was. He was full of wisdom, power, grace, and full of the Holy Spirit, and he stood up to the opposition, telling them how they betrayed and murdered the righteous one. Was there risk in that? Yes, we know it cost Stephen his life. All because he was willing to be bold for Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we must go out there and, 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 and do that. It might happen. There might be an opportunity that you've got to lay your life down for Christ. But do we have such an attitude? One of boldness for Jesus. Do we find ourselves, each one look at your own heart and, and, your, and your own personhood, do you find yourself speaking with boldness for Jesus? Do you find yourself involved in taking risks or danger? The risk of being embarrassed or persecuted or ridiculed or made fun of. The risk of death. The risk of being mocked. Are you trusting God? with the outcome when you are bold for jesus when you are required to speak the truth proverbs tells us but the righteous are bold as a lion and that is what is required of us we need to be bold as a lion we need to be bold for the glory of god and none of this is easy we need to encourage each other, we need to pray for each other, we need to strengthen each other so that we can have an attitude of boldness for Jesus. And last time when I preached on, on this, on the introduction, go and listen to the sermon on the 28th of March. And there I also gave Jesus as an example of his boldness for his Father. How he confronted the Pharisees. And I told them, you worship the father of lies. And because you do not hear me, you are not of God. So speaking with boldness for God was needed in Jesus' day. And he did it. All for the glory of his father's name. And speaking with boldness for Jesus is what's needed today. Will we do it? So what does boldness for Jesus look like? 
like I said, we looked at our first thing last week, which I'll recap on, and, the, and, and we will come to that now. But we need to look at these two things, and the one I will recap, to, to see what boldness for Jesus looks like. What boldness for Jesus as a Christian should look like. And here's our first thing, which I'll recap. And the first thing that showed well, the first thing to show us what boldness for Jesus looks like as a Christian is they are provoked within. And verse 16 of Acts chapter 17 tells us, tells us, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. That is what provoked Paul's spirit. The city was full of idolatry. Paul arrives in this pagan city of Athens by ship. And like I said, he's, he sailed 402 kilometers. And I like what this commentator says. Paul arrived in the great city of Athens not as a sightseer, but as a soul winner. When you go out your front door, when we go out the back of the church, do we go out in our minds that we are actually going out to be a soul winner? Not to tick how many people we save, but in the mindset that we have a message to take to the world. The good news, the gospel of Christ. The gospel of God, which is the power for salvation. It's the power of God for salvation, the gospel of God. And Paul arrives in Athens with an attitude of boldness for Jesus. That's his calling. His calling is to suffer for Jesus while he makes Jesus known, while he testifies about Jesus, his Lord and Saviour. You can read all about that on the road to Damascus in, in Acts chapter 9. And while in Athens, Paul sees idols and his spirit was provoked within him and the word provoked means stirred up to an intense and burning anger against the idolatry that enslaved the people of Athens what Paul saw broke his heart what we see out there in the form of idols does it break our hearts <coughs> Covetousness is idolatry. We must be aware of the idols that are in our own heart. Maybe the idols in our own heart prevent us from seeing the idols outside there. Fame is an idol. Wealth, power, sex, food, alcohol, drugs, parents, spouse, children, friends, work, recreation, hobbies, sport, television, church, that all could come in the form of an idol. There are idols in our hearts. Colvin said our, our hearts are like a factory of idols. That's why we need to be in the scriptures, sanctifying our hearts, cleansing our hearts, getting the Holy Spirit through the word to, to sanctify them more like Christ-likeness. But when Paul saw the idols 
and, he, and his emotions were stirred up, they were stirred up for action. Not, ah, oh, I feel sorry for this place. I'm just going to go find a place somewhere and pray for Athens. No. And the reason why he was stirred up, while well, we look at the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments, and there we are told in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 7 to 9, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And verse 9, you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And you can listen to the sermon last on the 28th and there's more about that but God called the Israelites to worship him only to have no other gods before him to have other gods before them would mean idolatry and to worship other gods or have idols would be for their destruction and we must be aware that if we have idols in our life that is for our ruin you become what you worship if you love money, you will become what you worship. And money doesn't make people happy and soft and loving and caring. It makes them hard and arrogant and, 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 and selfish. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself is not a problem, but it's when you add love to something. The love of church could also become a problem. The love of my home, the love of my car, the love of my work could become an idol. But in the New Testament, we are also called to worship and serve God only. And there's a passage that we kind of overlook. It's, it's Jesus in the wilderness when he is tempted by Satan. And in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 11, again, the devil took him, that's Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And how many of us have really fallen down to the things Satan is showing us out there? How many of us already succumbed to the worldly things? We must do a heart check. Examine our hearts to see where you have fallen to this verse. Where you align Satan to, to rule. He's the prince of the air. But not Jesus. Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You cannot serve. Both God and manna. You cannot serve God and other things. God must be on the throne of your heart. And as soon as you bring other things into your heart, you dethrone him. Like someone said, you de God him. You push him aside. He needs to have, have first place in our lives. He needs to rule supremely in our lives. Christ needs to be seated on the throne. And if he's not, then well, then we are worshipping him and other things. And you will despise the one and hate the other. You will push God off that 
throne. So Paul challenges us here to open up our eyes when we're out our homes, or what you see on the TV, or what you see on the internet, or what you read in the news. He challenges us to feel like Him, to see like Him, and then do something. And all what we do, let's be honest, is we grumble about what's going on outside there. We complain what's going on outside there. Where we have this beautiful story, this precious story, to go and tell the world. We have a message that can make such a difference and have such an impact on the world. Yet we don't. We must be like Paul, like Paul, who speaks the truth in love. The unchanging truth that he takes to these men and women. And that's what we're going to look at in our second thing. The second thing to show us what boldness for Jesus looks like as a Christian is they proclaim the unchanging truth of the gospel. And that's what verses 17 to 21 of Acts chapter 17 tells us. Paul proclaims the unchanging truth of the gospel. And Lord willing, next week and and I don't know how many next Sundays, we will look at the message of the Bible. The Christian message. The Christian story. And it's a story of words. And it's words that come from the scriptures. And the words have power. Just share something for Home Fellowship Group. When you read, when, you, when, when God created the world, He spoke everything into existence. By His Word, things were created. And His Word was unseen. But it had power. And the result was the heavens and the earth. What we see. So when you take God's Word... To someone, it's unseen what goes on in their hearts. And eventually the result is salvation, which is what we see. That's why faith, we walk by faith, not by sight. And there's too often we want our witnessing to be by sight, and we want to see what happens. When men get up and evangelize, why do you think they want hands raised? Why do you think they want people to come forward? Because then they can see what's going on with their message. And then the result is salvation, and they see that. So their whole salvation and evangelism is all by sight. They don't trust God's word and just let it go because it's powerful. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to those who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, writes Paul in Romans chapter 1. It's the most powerful message we have, but it looks like we don't trust to go tell people about Jesus and the resurrection. Because that is the unchanging truth of the gospel. That is what Paul tells the people in Athens. In verse 18 of Acts chapter 17, Paul tells them, he proclaims the unchanging truth of the gospel, and that is Jesus and the resurrection. But I guarantee you, we proclaim all about ourselves, what God has done in our lives. And we point the gospel to ourselves. Now, without contradicting myself, there is a time to share your testimony with people because that gives you an opportunity and a platform to now point people to Christ. 
But if we just point them to what God has done for me, 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 I, my family, then obviously they're going to want that God. Because He's come into your home and He's cleaned up your home and He's made everything better. But is that the reason why we worship this God? Because He makes our life better, our marriages better, our parenting better? We need to get the message right. I need to get the message right. So that people can hear it clearly. And then the Holy Spirit can do His work of salvation in the lives of these people. Is this not absent in the church today? Jesus and the resurrection. Is our evangelism like that as well? That Jesus and the resurrection is absent. There's a lovely quote. Absent is the Christ-centered faith and God-centered life that enables us to endure the difficulties and opposition of a hostile world and proclaim the gospel effectively to it. And when I say this, I say this sensitively. God has given us an intelligent faith. It doesn't mean we have to be have to go and study theology and get a degree in theology. It's an intelligent faith where it comes from an intelligent designer. And it's words that we use. You don't have to be clever or smart to tell someone about Christ. You've just got to make sure you give them the message, the Christian message. And leave it with God. We don't save people. We, can, cannot, we cannot convince people. All we can do is sow the seed, water the seed, and pray that God brings that seed to fruition. That He will grow that seed. But as soon as you go with the attitude that I'm going to save so-and-so, that's idolatry, actually. Who are you? You're not God. So we need to examine our message, we need to see, are we proclaiming an unchanging truth of the gospel of God to the unsaved? What message do we take? And this message that Paul shares from verses 22 to the end is a message that the world needs to hear today. But it's not the message that is going to save people, it's not, there's no secret message, but what you will see is how Paul meets people where they are. And that's how we should share the message. We meet people where they are in their walk, generally. You can't tell an atheist about Jesus. First got it pointing to God, the creator God. That's even hard because he doesn't believe that there's a God. But everybody's created to worship something. He even worships something. But Paul, he makes sure that the message he takes will be a message that gives the Holy Spirit the opportunity to do his work of conviction, convicting people of their sin and righteousness and judgment. Paul knows from Proverbs 14.25, a truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful.
Are we witnessing the truth? Are we taking the gospel of truth? And when Paul is in Athens and his heart is provoked and he's stirred up, it's stirred up for action. And look what he does in verse 17 of Acts chapter 17. He reasons again with both Jews and Greeks in both the synagogue and the marketplaces. It says there, Jews and the devout persons, those are the God-fearing Greeks. And he does it in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. And he takes Jesus, Jesus' words, Jesus' works, and the resurrection. And he boldly tells them, he's not ashamed of the gospel. But if you think he is the only one that does it, well, he's no different to Peter and John. Peter and John do the same. If you had to go back to Acts chapter 3, when um, Peter and John saved the crippled man, and the rulers and the scribes and the high priest and the high priestly family who healed the lame um, asked them, sorry, the rulers, the scribes, the high priest and the high priestly family, they asked Peter and John, who healed this lame beggar? And Peter could have said, well, you know, it was Jesus, this compassionate, loving, caring man. You know, there he came and he died on the cross. He loved you. He's a God of love. No. They don't say that. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, and there's a man with boldness, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom you murdered, whom you sent to the cross, the man who you tortured and beat, whom God raised from the dead. They don't like to hear the resurrection, especially the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection and angels. By him, this man is standing before you well. That's how Peter answers them, how the lame beggar at the gate was healed by this Jesus, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the stone, God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's why every other religion is false. You've got to believe that. Because there is salvation in no one else but Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. And the reason is also because of the resurrection. Muhammad's tomb, is it empty? Buddha's tomb, is it empty? Any other man made God, is his tomb empty? Our tomb is empty. Why? Because he was raised. 
God raised him from the dead. Jesus is alive. And it's through him salvation comes. Through him alone that we must be saved. In Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. That's what they saw. Is this what people are seeing in our lives when we take the gospel of God to them? When we take Jesus and the resurrection? Would they say to their friends, Wow! Mark, or Brian, or Arthur, or Daniel, or Russell, or Catherine, or Susan, they were bold. Jesus. I've never met such bold people for the gospel. Wow. They were not ashamed. They didn't shy away from anything. They did it in love. See, Peter, John, Paul, they all proclaim the unchanging truth of the gospel because they trust God for the outcome of the gospel. And today we need an attitude of boldness for Jesus. We need to proclaim the unchanging truth of the gospel. We need, to, we need to do what happened again in Acts chapter 4. When Peter and John were told not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus, once they were released, they went and told some Christian friends. And what did they tell them? They told them, hey guys, we can't preach the word anymore. We've been shut out by the religious leaders. We've been told not to. Did they fret? Did they panic? Did they complain? Did they grumble? No. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God, God with boldness. They prayed to carry on speaking the message with boldness in spite of the threats that were coming their way. Read that in Acts chapter 4. Verse 24 to 31. Are we, are we on our knees praying for boldness? Do we pray for boldness when we go out that door? Do we actually think of witnessing when we go out our doors, through our lifestyle, through our words and our works? And Paul, like I said, was provoked. He doesn't keep quiet. He goes to the synagogue as well as the marketplace. And he proclaims the unchanging truth of the gospel to Jews and devout persons, God-fearing Gentiles. And while he's there, obviously there's other philosophers there, the Epicurean philosophers and the Stoic philosophers, they hear him. And they also want to get now involved. Now there's more opposition. The, just quickly, the, the Epicurean philosophers taught that the purpose of life was pleasure and freedom from pain. They taught that God exists, but did not intervene in the affairs of people. They said, enjoy life. Very similar to a prosperity gospel. Enjoy life. Go out there. The more you give, the more God will help you enjoy life and make money. The Stoic philosophers stressed living in harmony with nature, depending on reason and other self-sufficient powers. They taught that there was one world God. They said, endure life. We must endure life. 
But the thing about these two philosophers is that they weren't able to answer the basic questions about our existence, purpose, and final destiny, as Paul shared how they need to enter in life through faith in the risen Jesus. So no wonder when Paul proclaimed the unchanging truth of the gospel, they dismissed him as an idle babbler. What is an idle babbler? Well, it means a seed picker, like a bird which pecks here and there for food. This is how they saw Paul. As a second-rate philosopher, picking up scraps of ideas here and there without truly understanding reality without truly understanding what he was talking about. They saw him as an idle babbler, just like that chicken that picks here, pick, pick, pick. All because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection, the unchanging truth of the gospel. That's why when we are going out, and maybe someone, an unsaved friend, an unsaved friend phones you up and wants coffee with you and he wants to know here about this God you serve, this God you love. What will you do? Again, will you panic? Will you crumble and complain? Like, Why me? Why don't they ask someone else? I don't know anything. All the doubts come, all the negativity comes, and we want to, we're like Jonah running now in the opposite direction. We want to run from them. Come on, I've been through this. I'm not making this up. I've also run from people. People that are quite intimidating. People that might have a, a higher IQ. People might threaten you intellectually. But today I say, why? Because I feared man. But those who fear God lack nothing. And when you fear man, you make man bigger than God. Say, God, you know, it's impossible for you to actually save this person. That's all we do. When we run from what God calls us to do, we're saying, God, you're not good enough. You're not big enough to actually help in this person's life. We make that person's life bigger than God. It's idolatry. We're caught up in, in idolatry. But we must do, we, like Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, we must, pray and we must pray that God will open up doors for the gospel so that we can share this unchanging truth of the gospel. And we must pray that we may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Pray for boldness. Because when you go out there, you have opposition. And it's Satan as well. The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of glory of Christ. So obviously, not everybody that you share the gospel with, God's going to save them. It could be done later. It could be in five years' time. But do you keep on keeping on in the endurance of Christ? Praying for them and sharing the gospel. And of course, these philosophers... By calling Paul an idle babbler, they, they, they've had enough. And now they want to take him to Areopagus, which is Mars Hill. And they want to know what these things are that Paul is speaking about, like Jesus and the resurrection. They want, they want to know about this new teaching, which was very peculiar and strange to their ears. 
And the reason why they go to Areopagus is it's a great place to gain information and enlightenment. Telling something new or hearing something new. But do we see God's providence here? Paul goes to Athens and he starts off in the synagogue preaching Jesus and the resurrection or telling them about Jesus and the resurrection and to the God-fearing Gentiles. Then he goes into the marketplace and he goes and continues there with Jews and, and God-fearing Gentiles and then the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers are there as well. They hear him. Now God has opened up such a wide door for him now to bring a message to Areopagus, this Mars Hill, this amphitheater, this huge place, which is made of, of probably hundreds of people. They come there and all they want to talk about is their worldview and something new. God has opened up this door for him now to come and share the gospel. He never had that in mind. God was providentially planning this all the time in his, in his, in his sovereignty. And we'll see, Lord willing, next week, what Paul's message is all about, the Christian message that he brings to these men in the midst of Areopagus, this place, men of Athens, Mars Hill. So, Lord willing, you'll be here next week to hear the Christian message. And what a great God we serve, that he opens up this door, all because of Paul's attitude of boldness for Jesus. You don't know what God's going to do in someone's life when you take them the gospel. Leave it up to God. One minute you're talking to one person, then that same person a month later might say, you know, Mark, can you come and speak to a group of friends? We want, they also want to hear this message. Bang. So will we take these two things? Provoked inwardly when we see idols and then will we be bold for Jesus and, and, and take the unchanging truth of the gospel to them? Will we be challenged by these two things? Will we be challenged to have an attitude of boldness for Jesus? Because there on the cross Jesus died Yes, he shed his blood for forgiveness of sins, to bring us to his Father. But he didn't save us to be silent. He's given us the good news. He's given us news to take to a people. He hasn't saved us to sit around and do nothing. No, we're supposed to die to ourselves and live for him. And that is to have an attitude of boldness for Jesus. To go forth and proclaim Jesus and the resurrection. The risen Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word and to learn from your word and from Paul, a man who had a a boldness for Jesus was willing to sacrifice his life, his comfort, everything to witness Jesus in the lives of people. So Father, please help us 
Help us to be provoked within when we see idols, that we won't just turn a blind eye, that we would be provoked within to go and tell them the unchanging truths of the gospel. Father, please be merciful, be gracious to us. We need to encourage one another, we need to help one another, to stand up for the truth, to become a voice in this world. Father, please be merciful, be gracious to us. Forgive us, Father, when we, when we are ashamed of the gospel. Forgive us when we turn away from speaking the unchanging truth of the gospel into the lives of people. Please, Father, help us as we pray to be bold and as we pray that we, to be clear in what we say, that you would hear our prayers, that you would open up doors to, to family members, to our children, that you will give us opportunities. But may we pray for these opportunities and may we pray, believing that all things are possible with you and nothing is possible with man. Help us, Father. Help us to, to embrace this great God who saves people. The Almighty Creator. Help us to know that we have a gospel that is powerful for salvation. Help us, Father. Help us now when we come to the Lord's Supper to be reminded of these truths and to see what Christ accomplished on the cross for us. Our eternal redemption. Have mercy upon us, Father. Please help us to be bold witnesses, to have an attitude of boldness for Jesus. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.